We'll be in Proverbs chapter 9 this morning, Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. <clears throat> it is good to have some extra family with us today. Thank you all for being here and uh, <clears throat> for coming. Just because you're visiting family doesn't always mean you have to come to church. So I appreciate you all being here and uh, making it a point to be here. We sure appreciate getting to meet you and know you, and uh, hope that you enjoy your time here today. Proverbs chapter 9. I want to look at the first 12 verses in this proverb uh, today, uh, really just talking about wisdom, and um, we're going to look at three points in regards to wisdom today, but if you don't mind, I'd like to read all 12 verses this morning before we get into it. So starting in verse number 1, Proverbs chapter 9, Verse number one, wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn, her seven, hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beast, and hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens, she crieth uh, upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of my wine, which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish, and live, and go in the way of understanding. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me the days, thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou be uh, scorn, excuse me, if thou be, but if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. Those are the twelve verses I'd like to look at this morning. Looking at three thoughts uh, about wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. As we uh, look at this, these verses, God, there's so much to learn from them. So I pray today that I would present these verses clearly and correctly. And God, I pray that we would understand the importance of godly wisdom. And God, I pray that as a result of your word today, God, you would convict our heart to draw closer to you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We see here in Proverbs 9, wisdom as it is given to us in verse 1. Uh, preparing uh, and, and doing things to prepare and inviting those to come in. There's a lot of opinions on this uh, chapter in Proverbs chapter 9 as far as if it's talking about just simply wisdom or if it's talking about the gospel or whatever it may be. I think you can probably apply it to the gospel, but I believe it's talking about wisdom as it says in verse number 1, wisdom. Uh, so we're going to go with that. And it says here in verse number 1 and verse number 2, I want us to see, first of all today, the provision of wisdom. The provision, what wisdom provides for us. And we see in verse number 1, Wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn out her seven pillars. Uh, wisdom builds a new house. Why? Because there needs to be space for all that come in. 
It's a house that is going to be entertaining, if I can use that term, people. It's in, there's an invite, we'll talk about that in a moment, but there's going to be inviting of people to come and partake of the preparation that wisdom makes. And so in order to, before even preparing the food, first you must prepare the meeting place, the place where people can come in. And we need it to be sufficient enough for all those that come. And so she buildeth her house, and she hath hewn out uh, seven pillars, a uh, strong, a secure, a large place. Seven is the number of perfection. Uh, outside of knowing that, I'm not sure how much this applies here, but nonetheless, we see here seven pillars hewn out, a house built and prepared for guests. Then in verse number two, it says, she hath killed her beasts, she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table. She was preparing a feast. Anytime I hear the word feast, I think Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but that's what I think of. Turkey, stuffing, mac and cheese, fried okra, green bean casserole, rolls, pumpkin pie, uh, whatever else that you serve, cranberry sauce, even though I don't touch that. Um, I don't know about you, I, this has nothing to do with the Bible, but uh, you ever feel guilty on Thanksgiving if you don't take a little bit of something? Um, I don't really like green bean casserole, yet every Thanksgiving I eat green bean casserole. Why is that? I don't know. Um, I don't eat cranberry sauce, though. I, don't, I guess I don't feel guilty about that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, getting back to Scripture, wisdom not only prepared a house, a meeting place, a place where people can come in, but a feast for all who will come. She had killed her beasts, uh, went out and hunted, got the meat. She has uh, mingled her wine. She hath furnished her table. It is said it is prepared. It's prepared on purpose, by the way. It's prepared for you. Wisdom is an interesting thing because it is available, God says, to anybody who needs it, to anybody who wants it, to anyone who asks for it. And so here, wisdom has prepared a place for you. A table setting, plate, too many forks, a spoon and a knife. It's prepared for you, for you to come and sit, for you to partake. This is the provision that wisdom makes. Whether or not you turn in, whether or not you come, whether or not you ask for and partake of the wisdom that is available to you, it is available to you. Now, again, if you're, if you're using this passage to talk about the gospel, the same is true. It's prepared. It's already paid for. It's already prepared for. The question is, are you going to come in? Are you going to partake? And that's what leads us to point number two. Point number one, the provision of wisdom. Point number two, the invitation of wisdom. Verse number three, it says, she has sent forth her maidens. They, she has sent people to go out and to tell, to invite. Go and tell. Go out and find somebody. Tell them, invite them to come to the feast. Invite them to come in. Not only that, it says in verse number three, she crieth upon the highest places of the city. She too goes out and invites, announcing there is a feast available for you. She goes out and she's inviting others. It's an open invite. Anyone who will can come. One of the greatest wisdoms if I can use, I'm not sure if that's grammatically correct or not, that we have to share is the wisdom or the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
God sends us out, does he not? Go ye therefore, the Bible says, and preach to all nations, to every creature, to anyone who will listen. Go out and share the gospel. But you know, not only does he send us out, God himself invites, if I can use that term. God gives us his word that if someone reads, it can impact their life, it can change their heart, it can open them to the understanding of who Jesus is and why Jesus even came to earth. I've heard personally stories of people who have picked up uh, either a gospel tract, just a piece of paper that has verses on it about the gospel and have read it and understood their need for salvation and were saved. I know people who have been in prison. I don't personally know people. I've heard stories of people who have been in prison who read a Bible and understood their need for salvation and understood that God loved them and they accepted salvation through it. See, it's not just my invite. It is also God's invite. Just as wisdom goes and invites on her own, she also sends out others to go and invite people to come to this feast. Then it says in verse number 4, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, drink of my wine, which I have mingled. The simple. You know, I don't normally like being called simple. But I understand that God desires for me to be simple in some ways. God says when it comes to faith, we must become as children. There's not much more simple than that. Don't we overcomplicate God? We do. We overcomplicate Him. Why? Because we've been uh, stooped in tradition. Because we've heard people tell us, you've got to be this, or you've got to be like this, or you've got to look like this, or you've got to do this, whatever it may be. We get stooped in tradition. God puts it out clearly, does he not, for us? When he tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, we should be good people. The Bible teaches us that. But simplicity especially when it comes to the gospel, but even when it comes to wisdom. The simple, those that maybe don't have as much wisdom as is necessary. Those that need more. I'm simple. And it says, whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. If you think, I don't need no wisdom, well, then you need a grammar lesson probably, but uh, you do. So you must become not foolish, but simple as a fool. Must come to the point where you realize I need more wisdom. I have met some very wise people in my life. All of them happen to be older. Shocker. But you know what? I've been told and I believe you're never too old to gain more wisdom. The wisest people I know, there are areas in their life where I've thought they need more wisdom. Are they wiser than me? You bet they are. Do they need more wisdom? You bet they do. 
You see, the Bible says that if we consider ourselves wise in this world, you need to become as a fool so that you can be wise. There are things that you know how to do better than me. I guarantee it. There might be things that I know how to do better than you. But that doesn't mean we've got it all down. As a pest control technician, I meet people on almost a daily basis that think they are wise concerning bugs. They're paying me good money to come take care of their bugs, yet when I show up, they are telling me everything that I need to do. Now listen, I have not been in the bug business all that long, so I still have plenty to learn about bugs. But if you're paying someone to take care of a problem, don't you think that maybe you don't know what you're doing? That's, I mean, I don't know why you'd pay someone if you knew how to do it yourself. And on the most frustrating days, sadly, that comes out sometimes. Excuse me, would you like to do this? Okay, can you please leave? <laughs> Let me do what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, COVID has helped a lot with that, by the way. That's the, the, the best side of COVID is six feet. Let's keep that. If you consider yourself to be wise among this world, become as a fool that you may be wise. That's the invitation that's given to us, to gain wisdom. If you've already got wisdom, there's no reason to come. And it says here in verse number four, whoso is simple, but also as for him that wanteth understanding, come. You might have some wisdom, but you come to the realization, I need more. You might have knowledge, but not understanding. What is wisdom? It's knowing what to do with your knowledge. And so you say, I've got some knowledge, but I need understanding. I need wisdom. And there is an invite to you, come and get wisdom. Have you ever said at any point in your life, I don't know what to do? You need wisdom. Have you ever been somewhere in your life where you say, I'm confused, I'm frustrated, I don't know what's happening, I'm lost, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss, I don't know what to do. Wisdom says, godly wisdom says, come. You're invited. I was talking with uh, the teenagers this morning in Sunday school. And I said, it is very hard to explain certain situations in life. The old question, why do good, bad things happen to good people? There are situations in life where someone could come to me and say, why did God allow this to happen? And my answer is, I do not know. I don't have all the wisdom. I don't have all the insight. We were talking about faith and the importance of trusting God, even in that situation. When we're saying, God, why in the world would you let this happen? having faith that God is in control, that God knows what he's doing and that God is doing what is best for you. Well, one thing that God invites us for is an invite to come and gain some understanding. Will you have all the answers that you seek? Maybe not. Maybe so. But you're invited to come and gain wisdom. We see the invite here is to turn in, to come eat, and to turn from. Verse number four says, 
uh, verse, uh, is it verse 4? No, it's verse, um, well, now I've lost it. Yeah, verse number 4. Uh, Let him turn in hither. So it has the picture of walking by, and the invite said, come on in. Then the decision being made to actually turn in, to actually go in. Have you ever been somewhere where there's a, uh, like a, a storefronts, maybe an outlet mall or uh, something like that, and you're walking along and you see something in the window and you go, well, that kind of is interesting. I'd like to look at that. So you turn in to the store. Uh, maybe uh, uh, maybe someone's trying to pull you away from it, but still you make the decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn in. It's a decision that you've got to make. Yes, the invite is there, but you still have to actually turn in to gain the wisdom. It's not, okay, God says wisdom is available. I can have wisdom. I'm invited to, to the Feast of Wisdom. Eh, I'll pass. I don't turn down feasts, by the way. I don't turn down free food ever. But here's this idea of, uh, if, you, if you look at the picture that's given to us in Scripture, a large house is built, a large feast is made, and you're invited, what are you going to do? The invite is there, now you're invited to turn in. Then in verse 5, you're invited to come eat, partake, receive. And then in verse 6, it says to turn from, forsake the foolish and live. And go in the way of understanding. When we choose wisdom, we have to deny foolish. Folly? I'm sorry, I really didn't take grammar uh, again. We deny that, the foolish things. So God says, come in and receive wisdom. But as you do that, you need to forsake the foolish and live. Go in the way of understanding. Now you're choosing your path. Go in the way of understanding. Which path are you going to choose? Well, God, I want wisdom, but I sure like this foolishness. That's what the world is. The biggest uh, thing that I believe um, in Christians not growing, we talked about spiritual growth, and not growing is because they refuse to forsake the foolish. God says the thing of this world are folly, they're foolishness. If you cling to that, you're not going to gain wisdom. So a lot of times we sit here and we go, God, I just want to know. God, I just want to understand. God, I just want to whatever. And then at the same time, we're going, hey, God, I'll get back to you in just a minute. If you don't mind answering me when I get back, I want to go do this. And it's foolishness. You say, well, I want wisdom, then forsake the foolish. There's foolishness in this world, and we need to be aware of worldly counsel. The self-help book became a phenomenon, really, uh, over what, the last decade, two decades, where everyone was writing a book about how to better yourself. And I'm sure there are some good books out there. But we need to forsake foolishness. Any person that tells you, you just do what's best for you, what makes you happy, 
You know what they're telling you to do? Forsake God. You see, doing what's best for you is to follow God, to choose wisdom, to go in the way of understanding. I promise. Yet so often we choose, as the Bible puts it in speaking of Moses, we choose to enjoy the sins of this world. Moses forsake that. He was Pharaoh's son for all practical purposes. And he left that to be with God. And you say, okay, well, let's look at Moses' life, what it could have been and what it was. He could have stayed in Pharaoh's home. He could have been leadership in Egypt. He could have ruled all those kinds of things. Instead, he wandered around a wilderness for 40 years. He put up with bickering, whining people. He, uh, he walked a lot. Um, there was times where he was hungry, and then God provided. There were times where he was thirsty, and then God provided. He was very uh, bothered by the people as they were very, very, very annoying. And uh, all these things through, and then, and then at the end of it all, Moses uh, disobeys God, and that long journey that he took, he didn't even get into the promised land. So you say, now wait a second, you're telling me that Moses forsook Pharaoh and followed God, and it sounds like his life didn't turn out as good as it could have turned out had he just stayed in Pharaoh's home. Right? I'm not the only one that sees that, correct? Here's the deal. Moses had a choice to follow God or to enjoy sin for a season. Sin for a season would have been not following God, right? And, and for a season, enjoying sin for a season means there was some enjoyment in the sins that were going on. Would he have had a, a plush life? Probably. Would he have had anything that he wanted? More than likely. Maybe that season would have lasted for 40 years. Maybe it would have lasted for 60 years. But you know what? It wouldn't have lasted. The enjoyment would not have lasted for eternity. We are a, a creatures of time. Right? A beginning and an end. And a lot of times we think, when, when my life on this earth is done, we don't think much about eternity. And so here we sit thinking, okay, I'm going to enjoy sin for a season because it's my life and I want to enjoy it. What happens afterwards for the rest of time? You see, it's a choice that has to be made. And God tells us that the way of the world, that sin leads to destruction. Sure, it might be enjoyable. Listen, we've all sinned and enjoyed it at some point in time. But it's not enjoyable for eternity. It leads, God says, every time to destruction. But following God, it might put you through some hardships. We're talking about missionaries in Sunday school with the teenagers right now. We just went through... Adoniram Judson's life. Adoniram Judson uh, went and served in Burma. He was thrown in prison for doing nothing. He didn't do anything wrong. They thought he was a spy. His wife died. 
You read Adoniram Judson's story, you're not going to think, boy, that was a life of luxury. But I promise you, today he's pretty happy. You see, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to gain wisdom and forsake the foolish? Or are you going to choose to forsake wisdom and follow the foolish? It's a decision we have to make. Even as saved people, we have to decide, are we going to follow God or not? Are we going to obey what he's told us to do or not? Are we going to live a life that God promises to bless? Or are we just going to try to soak up as much sin as we can while we live on this earth? You see, we think, this will be fine. When I get older, don't have the energy to do this stuff anymore, then, then I'll change. No, you won't. Wisdom is inviting you. Will you turn in? Lastly, I want us to look at the instruction of wisdom. We've looked at the provision and the invitation of wisdom. Lastly, let's look at the instruction of wisdom. Verse 7, he that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Reprove not those who will not accept reproof. It's okay to invite, but don't spend too much time. It's only going to lead to hardship, and it's only going to be actually wasting your time. Don't pursue them through reproof and rebuke. There is a, a kind way, right? There is a, still a, a way to have conversation and things like that. But as far as taking the time to reprove and to rebuke, to instruct, to help, to say, hey, this is, this is you know, wrong, you need to do this, this will help you be right, those kinds of things, if they're going to scorn you, don't spend too much time there. Invite them to come, invite them to, to gain wisdom, and have that invite there still for them, but don't spend too much time there. It says in verse number 8, rebuke the wise. A wise man understands he's a flawed man. So when you come to him and say, hey, what you're doing here is wrong, he says, oh man, you're right, it is. Thank you. A wise man understands that he's flawed. Spend the time with them helping. Verse 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Reprove, rebuke, and teach. Where have we heard that before? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, a wise man will accept correction. What's the first thing you do when someone tells you you were wrong? Dig in your heels? No, it wasn't. I'm never wrong. You don't say that, right? But kind of in your mind, as soon as someone comes to you and says, hey, what you're doing is wrong, and your first reaction is, no, I wasn't. A wise man will accept correction and teaching. Verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. We've talked about this before. Knowing who God is is going to help you become wise. It's going to help you learn. 
knowing what God is capable of, the good and the bad. I say the bad, not evil, wicked bad. What's good for us and what we view as bad, punishment, anger from God. John talked about this uh, when he spoke uh, a few Sundays back, the fear of the Lord. Yes, it includes the proper reverence of God, but it also is the understanding that if I do wrong, what God is capable of. I don't know about you, what kind of relationship you have with your father. I love my dad. I feared my dad. When I did wrong, I was scared senseless. He wasn't going to abuse me and beat me. He would spank me. But when I did wrong, my first thought was, oh, I sure hope dad doesn't find out. I don't know what your home was like, but I'd come home and mom would approach me about something and, yeah, oh, wait till your dad gets home. Sometimes mom wouldn't wait. <laughs> I mean, I still had to wait till dad got home because when he got home, I got it too. But uh, nonetheless, fear. Honestly, it's a perfect picture. The way that we ought to fear our parents is the way we ought to fear God. As a matter of fact, so much more. Because God is capable of so much more. God is righteous and he is just. He has to punish sin. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. I can't hide from him. I can hide from you. I can hide from a spouse. I can hide from a parent. I can hide from a co-worker. I can hide from an employer. I can hide from the government. I can hide from all kinds of people. I cannot hide from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the start. It's the starting place for wisdom, knowing who God is and what he is capable of. Verse 11, for by me thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. There's an advantage to wisdom. There's an advantage to wisdom. And then it says in verse 12, if thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself, but if thou scornest, thou, shalt, thou alone shalt bear it. There's a consequence, good and bad. If you be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. It's going to help you. But if thou be a scorner, you're going to carry your weight. You're going to carry the consequence of that as well. And you're going to do it alone. Thou alone shalt bear it. Wisdom instructs us to teach correct to help the wise those seeking wisdom use the scripture to do it by the way not your own personal beliefs it all starts with proper fear of God there's an advantage to it and there's a result good and bad for us there's a provision of wisdom they built the house prepared a feast there's an invite to wisdom it's wide open you're invited now you decide, will you turn in, will you come, will you forsake foolishness? And then receive the instruction that wisdom has to offer. Lord, help us. I believe today we are all humble enough to say we need more wisdom. God, I pray that you'd help us. I think one of the hardest things we do is forsaking foolishness, giving up things in our lives that you don't desire to be there. Maybe in and of themselves they're not evil or wrong, but when they're holding us back from following you, Lord, they become 
sin. God, I pray that today you would help us. Uh, wisdom is provided for us, so God, I pray that we would receive the invitation, accept the invitation, and come in. And Lord, I pray that we would be taught by wisdom, that we would be corrected in areas that we need to be corrected. And Lord, that we would grow in areas that we need to grow. God, I pray that we would have a proper understanding of just who you are. Lord, that we would fear you. We would reverence, respect, honor, and fear you. Lord, that's where it starts. If we don't, if we don't believe you are who you say you are, it's going to be hard for us to gain any wisdom. So God, help us start there. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the piano is going to play. I'm not going to ask you any questions today. I'm just going to simply invite you talk to God if he's spoken to you about an area in your life that needs a change today would you make that change would you commit to him to make that change if you'd like someone to pray with you we'd be glad to do so you can come to the front if you're a lady we'll have a lady pray with you if you're a man we'll have a man pray with you if you have questions and you want some answers be happy to talk with you but if God's spoken to you today and you say, God, I know you've spoken to me today. God, I know you've pointed this out in my life today. I know it needs to be right. Now is the time. No, don't wait. Now is the time just to pray. Have a conversation with God. Seek his help. Maybe seek his forgiveness. Whatever's necessary. It's between you and him.